Super Talk Mississippi media production. Come see the Boutique on Central in downtown Laurel for the best deals in women's fine clothing. Let us complete your one-of-a-kind look at the Boutique on Central at 531 Central Avenue in downtown Laurel. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show, where we celebrate every single day the people who are working to make Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. Listen, uh, reflecting a bit on the on the weird weather of late, man, this is uh, this is crazy. We go from a, a really mild winter to earlier this week having what essentially was a tropical storm during the winter. Uh, that that incredible uh, cold front that came through. And, uh, you know, the piers underwater, my, my sister Mitzi, who lives over in Gulf Hills, had a, a really nice boat delivered to her yard. It was within five feet of her pier, and it would have definitely taken out a section of her pier had it hit. It turns out the people who own it, it's a nice boat with twin 300 Yamahas. Uh, we're out of town. You know, I figured that maybe it was out, someone out of town who didn't get a chance to jack it up in the uh, boat lift. And, and as a result, it just floated off the boat lift and caught the wind. And the rest is history. I think a few, few boats met that, met that demise and they'll, they'll be calling the salvagers to, to get it out. But it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a weird weather situation. Then we have <clears throat> cool, cool air coming, really cool air coming. Uh, some, some, supposed to be in the 20s next week, which for me, I hate it because we had that really serious extended cold air last winter, and I was able to protect the hearts of my palm trees, my Queen Anne palm trees, and wondered for weeks and weeks whether they were damaged too severely, but eventually they came out, and they are absolutely beautiful now around my pool deck, and now here we go again. We're going to have to deal with some cold cold weather again, but we were, we were almost through a, a winter without serious cold weather. It's just strange time as a typical El Nino year. Now we've get, we're getting some more, you know, getting rain and getting cold weather. Um, it ought to sort of be that kind of trend through the, through the spring. But hey, got one, uh, one um, quote to share with you, and then we're going to go to our, our guest today, who is uh, Chef Austin Sumrall from White Pillars. So here is, uh, I hit my, there you go, for the Super Talk TV audience, I bumped a, 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 a button and turned my camera out there for a second. But this is a, I'm a bit, I was a big student of Steve Jobs. Still amazed that the smartphone wasn't introduced until 2007 and it just literally revolutionized the, the world. But anyone who knows Steve Jobs, he was driven to be innovative and excellent. And he was really hard to work for because he expected people to work nearly 24 hours a day. But he said this, be a yardstick of quality. Some people aren't used to an environment where excellence is expected. Be a yardstick of quality. Some people aren't used to an, an environment where excellence is expected. Steve Jobs. Well, he built he built a revolu- revolutionary company in Apple, that is for sure. And that commitment to excellence is still there today. You know, companies all over coastal Mississippi and throughout the state of Mississippi are constantly focused on customer satisfaction and bringing excellence to their customers. You know, if you're in the restaurant business, excellence my goodness, you got to deliver constantly. You can never drop your guard. 
because, you know, word of mouth will kill you quickly. You have to be focused on doing the best you can. And to be a restaurant owner and involved and a chef of a restaurant means that you have to have incredible passion for what you're doing. If you don't have it, you might as well not do it because you, you won't, you won't, you won't stand, as I often say, the, the test of time. There's one, one uh, restaurant on the coast that has stood the test of time, and that is the White Pillars Restaurant and Lounge. And uh, my friend Austin Summerall is an owner and a chef there and someone I really enjoyed che- checking in with recently. Uh, he was on, on national TV and national cooking competition. We'll be talking about that as well as we spend the whole hour with, uh, with Austin. Without any further ado, let me welcome Austin Summerall, Chef Austin Summerall, back to the Ricky Matthews Show. How you doing, uh, Austin? I'm doing great, Ricky. It's, uh, it's awesome to be back on here. It's, uh, love chatting with you. Yeah, so you're sitting in in this wonderful restaurant that you and your wife uh, spent so much. I mean, you 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 sweat some 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 bullets to get this thing done. It's a it's, it's a special place though. If you're just describing how unique and historic that place is, how, how do you talk to people about it? Well, you know, it's I've tried really hard to get this uh, my elevator pitch down some so that I can I can get it out to people a little bit quicker. But it, it takes a second really to uh, to talk about all of the uh, you know what goes into the restaurant and why why we think it's so special. Um, I think I think you start with the building itself. Uh, we, we took on a uh, a space that had been empty for almost thirty years, um, and it was also home to a restaurant that was immensely popular when it was around. Uh, so it was the White Pillars, the same name. It was open from 1969 to 1989. And, um, you know, it was it was something that was really special to the coast. And then this building itself was a home built in 1905. Um, and it's just, it's just gorgeous uh, neoclassical mansion that faces the beach. And um, so to kind of bring it back was a little bit of an undertaking. And it, it was uh, came with some pressure involved as well. Um, to be something that was great, but, uh, you know, I think that quote kind of, uh, is perfect for this and I appreciate it. Um, but you know, that was, that was what we wanted. We wanted something that was great. We wanted to strive for perfection. And, um, I think that that's kind of where we landed, uh, and we've built a space and a restaurant that, uh, something that we can really be proud of and that our community can really be proud of. How often when you're there, um, and I enjoy my wife, Ann and I enjoy, uh, eating there. Um, when you're there, though, you get the sense that you didn't you didn't skip any steps in the renovation process. I mean, you don't you don't get the sense that this is a a project that's underway. That there's still some more phases to go. You went all in in a big way, didn't you? A- absolutely. Now, so from my perspective, I feel like it's never done. We we constantly change little things here and there that may not even be perceptible to our guests, but it. I'm a I'm a perfectionist to the core, and uh, this is uh, this is Tressie and I's baby. Uh, so we decided when we took the restaurant on that we wanted this to be what we saw as the you know the perfect restaurant, the perfect space. And uh, and you're right, there's no there's no detail uh, overlooked, no stone unturned um, in the food and in the space. Um, you know, it's a it's a very meticulously restored old building um, where we put a lot of uh, finishes and touches in it that would make sense for the time that it was originally built. Um, so there's, uh, you know, there's things like, um, sorry. Uh, That's okay. Go th- ahead. Yeah. 
things like um, uh, uh, wallpaper that was uh, custom made from a throw pillow of the same vintage as the original restaurant, I mean, the original uh, home. Um, and things like that. There's a bar that's actually older than the building itself that's in the uh, in the lounge. Um, so it, it's definitely become a uh, you know a, I mean it was already a passion, but it's uh, it's become even more so something that we uh, we really really take a lot of care into uh, into what you get when you come in uh, to the restaurant. I'm, I'm kind of da- I'm kind of dating myself, but I think I remember telling you that in the late '70s, while I was in uh, actually. It was mid seventies. Uh, when did when did the White Pillars initially open up? So it was opened originally in sixty nine, and then closed yeah. in eighty nine. Yeah. So I'm thinking it was uh, it was my junior year of high school. I worked there, and um, I washed dishes and did did a great job. I did such a good job of washing dishes that Miss Milandovich said, "You can know you can go you can go um, be a busboy now. You can go clean the tables off." And I did that, and we would get splits. Of the of a small portion of the tips every night, we had a little. We'd all get together with the waiters and we'd get our money at the end of the night. And thought that was cool the way they did it. I probably can tell this story now. My fr- I had my first beer at White Pillars. Miss <laughs> Miss Mladenovic knew knew that I I could get um I could you know I shouldn't be drinking it. She said you can have one, and I tasted my first beer. You know to be honest with you, I didn't really like it. <laughs> I love that story. But but she uh, she enjoyed you know giving us you know let, you know she that was her way of saying you know I know we shouldn't do this but this is a restaurant and back in those days it wouldn't frown on the way it might be frowned on today but um, she she was a nice woman to work for that's what that's what I remember. Still uh, still is very nice. She uh, she comes in most Sundays uh, and has uh, brunch with us. Um, so I, I saw her just a couple of days ago. Um, and uh, she's still uh, very, very matronly. Lots of people that uh, worked at the restaurant all have great stories and uh, wonderful things to say about her as a, uh, a restaurateur. Um, but also, she's you know she's still still holding it down. Um, and uh, I I, uh, I try to make sure that, that her food is extra perfect. <laughs> well, that's great. That's great to hear that she's still still rolling. You know, it's interesting. I, I look back. What I remember about her is a beautiful smile and just a really good way with people. I mean, she just connected with people really nicely. And I don't think I was ever there, to be quite honest with you. I don't remember a time when I was there. I'm sure there was, but I don't remember a time when she wasn't there. I, I mean, she just, you know, she was very passionate about the restaurant. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, hey, we're visiting with my friend, chef, uh, the chef of uh, and owner of the White Pillars restaurant in Biloxi. Uh, when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about how, well, first, I want to know how the business is going. You know, what's the latest in his his uh, innovation as he as he uh, continues to sort of innovate food in coastal Mississippi. But he's been on some national TV shows, and uh, he's been on Chops since the last time we talked. We're going to get an update about how that went. And he's got another one coming up, I guess. You know, we'll see. We'll hear about that as well. We'll uh, see you after this break.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. We're visiting with my friend here in the Citizens Bank studio, uh, Chef Austin Summerall. Who, uh, who actually grew up in Macomb, Mississippi, and has a great story about growing up and hunting and fishing and hiking and foraging and cooking with his family and all that goes with that. But, you know, you got kind of hooked to, to cooking early in your life, and it's it's become your life, hasn't it? Yeah, I, for sure. And, uh, and you know, talking about uh, growing up, I, did, I grew up on a farm, um, spent a lot of time outdoors. I was a uh, uh, Eagle Scout and uh, grew up hunting and fishing, and I think that that did have a, a big, uh, big part in my my life. It was always the rule uh, on my family farm that if you killed it, you ate it. Um, so I love wild game. Still do a lot of stuff with wild game, and uh, it just really gives you a a unique perspective on food to see the work firsthand. See the work that really goes in behind the scenes um, before that food gets on your plate. And you were talking about earlier that uh, cold weather next week. I know you said you were upset about it. I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited. I, uh, I got an opportunity to go uh, duck hunting next weekend with my dad, and the weather is supposed to be really nice. And uh, so hopefully we get some ducks. Hey, listen, uh, you, you know, this is a, a little bit of a diversion, but I have Super Talk Outdoors on Mondays. And so I get I, this fact this past Monday was dedicated to ducks. Uh, had the the guy who's head of the duck program from Mississippi, uh, Houston Havens, join me, and we kind of got an update on on the situation there. And then another guy named Russell Ram- Ramsey Russell, who is a uh, he leads a, uh, a company called GetDucks.com, and they arrange duck hunting trips for people all over the world. He's been like to Australia a couple of times recently, and we oh, talked wow. about That's the Miss. Awesome. Yeah, we talked about the Mississippi Flyway, where our ducks come from. You know, from Canada and North Dakota and, and you know the that, those areas of North, North North America, and what pushes them down is cold weather. He said it was fifty four degrees on Christmas Day in Alberta, Canada. Think about that for a second. Yeah, not so but good. It, not good but it's not ducks. just the cold weather. It's you know you need snow on the ground. So snow on the ground combined with cold weather pushes the ducks down the flyway. And uh, but anyway, we uh, I have I at least three separate farms up in the Mississippi Delta. Three of my friends own a piece of property adjacent to one of the farms that I that I lease that has really good duck hunting. And uh, my son Jordan and uh, my friend Terry and and friend Je- uh, uh, Travis had a hunt this past Saturday, and it was literally epic. I mean, they were they limited in like eight minutes, and oh, then they watched God. hundreds of ducks land, both uh, wood ducks and uh, gadwalls land and work into the decoys they said it was just absolutely unbelievable of course you don't with the kind of duck season we're having you don't expect that you know and they and they had it and and my friend mark creech who loves to cook duck he said he'll take wood ducks all day long he just loves the nutty flavor of wood ducks you know Do, do you have a preference on on which type of duck? I uh, I guess not. I mean, you you know, your typical mallard, you have a lot more to work with, and uh, you can even like do some confit on the legs and stuff like that. Some of the smaller ducks, it's uh, there's not not a whole lot of meat on there, but I, I think they're all delicious in their own way. Yeah, they've had they've had some really good hunts. They had they've uh, widgeon and blue and green wing teal. 
And, of course, the gadwall that I mentioned a minute ago and lots of wood ducks. But they've had some really good hunts. It's fun when you don't expect the hunts to be great because the weather has not, you know, cooperated. It's fun to go out and have a great hunt. You know, that's kind of that's kind of where they've been. They also had a couple of really good geese goose hunts, man, when catching you know, snow and blue geese. Um, that's that's a lot of fun. So, you know, you, you've cooked geese, I'm sure, many times, huh? Well, I, I wouldn't say many times, but I have done it. So there, there's uh, one cool law in Mississippi that um, you can bring in wild wild game or uh, or fish that you caught or killed yourself, and, and I can prepare it. So I got to do uh, I got to do some speckled geese um, not too long ago for a guest that came in that was really fun and delicious. What filet mignon? That's what it tastes. Huh? Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine how how what it looks like when you when you prepare it. But what what I love about that core though that core of understanding that's you know sustenance you know um, hunting that you, you like to hunt for the purpose of cooking some amazing meals and what you learn from your family and what you learn from your own experience. You've worked in uh, many restaurants. You went you ultimately went to an institute in uh, I think the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. Um, you know, to bring sort of that that beginning where you got connected with, you know, the landscape that that makes Mississippi so special. I call it the the capital of the outdoors in America. Um, to bring that that foundation with you throughout your cooking experience, that's been a real um, advantage for you, hasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, you know, like I said before, I think it you know it gives me a unique. Um, vantage point to as my approach to food, um, and it's uh, it's really like a, a reverence uh, for the ingredients, and and it's not just the proteins. Uh, you know, I get it all the way down to the um, vegetables and everything too. Uh, you know, I grew up with a what I think a lot of people call a victory garden in the backyard, and uh, worked with my mom and growing vegetables, and we love to eat eat what we grow and the hard work that goes into that. But also, man, it just tastes so much better when it's fresh when it goes to your table. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's something that I'm very, very passionate about. Well, that's why you have to be passionate about it. You know, this whole notion of farm to table, the, where you, where, you know, the relationship you have with people who bring your vegetables and your tomatoes and your shrimp and, the, you know, your tuna, whatever it is you're cooking, um, that whole notion of knowing where your sources, you know, knowing your sources and having confidence that it's fresh and amazing, that's what makes a great restaurant tick, isn't it? It is, and that's. I think you hit the nail right on the head. I, what we like to say is, it's it's very important to know where your food comes from. Everyone should know where their food comes from, not not just chefs. Um, but we take it one step farther, and we know who who our food comes from, and we know them well. It was one of the first things that my wife and I did when we moved to the coast and started working on opening the restaurant was we hit the farmer's markets really hard and started making those relationships. And, it, and it's not just vegetables. We uh, we have fishermen that call us when they're still on the boat with what they have caught, and we know how fresh it is. Um, we have very good relationships with our oyster farmers that can tell us the exact salinity of the oysters when they're harvested. Um, and then, you know, with our, with our bigger farmers that have more variety, they can tell us what's coming up. They know what's really good right now. Um, they know what's about to go out of season. Um, and it, it makes my job easier. Now, the hard part is that we order from 25 different farms at any given time. Um, so that's a lot a lot to work on. But um, 
it also gives us the advantage that we're starting with the best possible ingredients, which from a cooking standpoint makes it a lot easier. Well, and, and it creates, I tell you what's interesting, as you, as you discuss with the people who are providing uh, the, the various ingredients that you're cooking, it, 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 it makes you, it forces you actually to make decisions about the menu, about, okay, what am I going to do now? And, and sometimes it may be when you, when you do sort of a, a lay of the land on the ingredients, the ingredients are, uh, they can be, I bet they can be so many different uh, gyrations. It's unbelievable. And you probably think in the moment, you know what, I might try to put this with that and try something different this time. But you do that a lot, don't you? We do. Um, so I typically change the menu at least in some way every day. And that's not meaning like whole dishes and concepts, but there's always, you know, so, something we want to add on, some ingredient that we want to highlight that we'd like to see on the menu or something that maybe is going away. Uh, same thing with the fish. We take in whatever's the, the fresh, most fresh and the best. Um, and so those, those all kind of change and tweak a little bit, even as the week goes along. And to me, that, that gives us, uh, you know, advantage in that, you know, we know, we know for sure what we're putting on the plate is, is the, you know, the most in season and the freshest that it can be. And I typically have like a, a menu that I kind of keep an idea of the direction that we're going to go, um, as far as what comes, what's coming in. So like right now, um, citrus, uh, which is not something that probably a lot of people think about um, in the in where we live and this time of year. But this time of year is the is the correct time of year for citrus. We actually have six different citrus trees that are on our property here um, that my mom started growing when I was a little kid, and we moved them here. And uh, we gather citrus off of those, but also. Um, in our subtropical climate here, we get all these great citrus, not just satsumas, but um, caracara oranges, tangerines, uh, quats, and all kinds of other stuff. So um, we're going to do a dish this week that will highlight that citrus. And to me, the cool thing is that we're in like the dead of winter, and you get this just like vibrant, bright food that you don't typically think of when you think of wintertime. And it's just it's exciting. It's something that gets me gets me up and going in the morning. I love that. So again, you have to have a passion for it, and that passion is what drives that innovation and that that opportunity based on what's available to you. Citrus being a great example, and uh, and highlighting that on your menu. You know, one of the things I like to look at is uh, when you guys are posting on your on your Facebook page. You'll be uh, you know every, everyone has seen these moments in the in the sort of uh, reality TV chef uh, programs on TV. But where you're standing behind a plate and you're you're kind of finalizing the, gar the the garnish, and there may be a pile of uh, maybe a fish or maybe a steak with some sautéed shrimp on top of it, and you've built this kind of like this masterpiece, and that one's ready to go, and you're passing that one on, and then you're doing another one. But but the attention that you're paying to that is is very impressive. And you can tell that you love doing it, and that, that makes a real big difference. And by the way, all these things feed into why you're able to perform good on a show like Chops. When we come back, we're going to talk about that. We'll see you with uh, my friend, uh, the chef of uh, White Pillars Restaurant, uh, Chef Austin Summerall. We'll see you after this. Passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. 
Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I have my friend Austin Summerall. He's the chef and owner of White Pillars Restaurant and Lounge in Biloxi. And he's got a, that, that restaurant has so much history here, here in coastal Mississippi. It's fun watching Austin because this whole notion of you know farm to table and the, the I think it, you mentioned twenty five some odd sources where your food is coming from. I can't even imagine managing that on a daily basis when you're dealing with fresh food and having to decide menu you know menu items and all that. It's got to be it's got to be a challenge, but also fun, especially if you have a passion for it, like you and I were just talking about. But when you had to do all these gyrations as a restaurant owner. It does prepare you well, mostly, doesn't it, for shows like Chops? I mean, you go into that, you get, you got to let your your personality show. You got producers that are trying to intermingle you guys, so there's conflict, and they they want conflict, they want they want exacerbation, so that people continue to watch. But but uh, Chops wasn't your first show. You can remind people that what you did leading up to that, but. But Chops was a was a good one, and you did well on it. I watched it closely, and was, was very proud of you. Well, I, I appreciate that, Ricky. So, uh, yeah, I actually technically I filmed Chops first, and then uh, Alex versus America second. But they they came out the other way around. Um, so obviously, I was more uh, excited about the outcome in Alex versus America. But Chops really was fun, and I, I kind of think kind of sparked my um, my love for uh, competition. Um, as far as, uh, you know, cooking goes. And uh, I think that comes from, I did a lot of team sports and stuff like that growing up. And I kind of thought I was out of that competitive mindset in my life. And I found a way back in and it's, it's been really fulfilling. It's something that I, I super enjoy. Um, but you're right. We change the menu all the time. You have to make split second decisions uh, in the restaurant. And I think all of that prepares you for when you open a basket and you don't know what you're about to cook. Hey, what's interesting about Chops, okay, in particular, and I'm, I was aware that you had done that one first. It's, it aired second of the shows that you did. You got another one you're about to go do here soon. We'll hopefully learn more about that before we get done with the show. But, but you know, for it to be your first, and I again, I'm way, way aware of that, well aware of that. Uh, man, you did a good job. You had a good – I mean, you did a good job not coming across nervous. You let your personality show – um, really, I think you could have won the whole darn thing, man. You had one little slip up. Other yeah. than that, I mean, everyone had all of these. Everybody has a slip up or something that didn't go quite as planned. But man, for the most part, you knocked it out of the park. You had to feel good about that. I did, and you know, even going into that last last round or when we were up there with the judges and about to find out who won or not, I I still felt pretty good. Um. It was definitely, you know, it's difficult, and I was going up some against some really stiff competition. Um, the girl that beat me uh, went on to get second in uh, the Top Chef All Stars later that year, so she she ain't no slouch. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we're still we're still good friends, and uh, it was fun to compete against somebody that was that good. Um, but yes, it's. Uh, Try not to let your nerves get to you. Um, it just got so much adrenaline going, and it goes by so quick that it's kind of hard to remember tidbits of it. But there, there are a few moments that I, I can remember clear as day. Like one, my first round, one of the ingredients was shrimp, and I'm sitting there thinking, if I mess these shrimp up, I don't know that I can go back to Biloxi. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, they were they were not peeled. 
um, nice, big, beautiful Gulf shrimp. And um, I'm sitting up there peeling them with 20 minutes. That's what you have in the first round. And uh, my hands were shaking. <laughs> and I, I remember I, I paused, took a deep breath, and thought to myself, if I can't get the shrimp peeled, there's nothing I can do. So focus, get my hands quit shaking, and get through the shrimp. And uh, I think that was probably one of my best rounds as far as the competition goes. Um, you know, when I saw the shrimp, obviously I was excited. But at the same time, like, man, if I mess this up about overcook them or <laughs> undercook them or something like that, I can't go home. <laughs> hey, so what it, to remind for people who didn't see it, uh, and I don't remember the exact dish that you cooked uh, from, from watching it myself, um, what was it that you did? I mean, because I, I do remember – Man, I can't mess this up. I mean, this is this yeah, is. I, I think I even said it in yeah. the, in the show. Um, so it was it was yeah. It's tough for me to remember. Too. So there's four ingredients. It was shrimp. Um, there maybe it's just three ingredients. There was shrimp. There's a, a like a succulent that's uh, found uh, wild growing on our beaches uh, called sea beans. That was one of the things that was on there. And then like uh, powdered. Um, red eye gravy mix. There might have been one other thing, uh, but I can't. I can't remember what it was. Um, but yeah. So honestly, none of those really kind of threw me for a loop. I'd actually worked with the sea beans and stuff before, and you really can't. I'm I'm, I'm looking out over the water right now. Um, it's. I think we're probably a little too cold for it at the moment. But you could go out there right now and find it, um, which is pretty cool. And uh, so that was like one of those things where I was like, okay, shrimp, got it. Sea beans, got it. And then the gravy, you know, you just try to figure out how to make it not taste gross. Uh, <laughs> so, but, uh, uh, but they loved it. They did. They did. That was, yeah, that was well, well received for sure. Oh, it was, uh, the last one was a, like an already cooked, essentially like cornbread. I think it was corn cake technically, but so I had to kind of re rework that. So tell me about the beignet. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, – wow. so my, my thought process was, you know, they, they really wanted, you know, stuff – you had to be able to tell a story about it. It needed to speak to you as a person and as a chef, which makes sense. You know, that, <clears throat> that coming, coming from that angle, you get, a, you get a lot more passion in your food. So I, I spent a lot of my time in New Orleans – beignets felt like the right move um i've never made them before though so i don't know that that was necessarily the right thing but i uh so i went for it i, I couldn't quite i was having trouble getting my dough consistency right it was a little too loose so i, yeah. I kept trying to fry it and uh going back and adding more flour um and i eventually did get it to come together but it was the my timing at that point it was a little off so they came out. I think they came out a little greasy. Was the was the main complaint from the judges? But the the crazy part from a show standpoint was that that fryer is right next to the judges' table, and I could hear them over my shoulder. Oh no, his beignets aren't working. Oh and, no, uh, oh no. <laughs> really, really stressful. And you know, you get a certain amount into. It. I think you have thirty minutes in that round where there's no really turning back. I didn't have enough time to like completely change what I was going to do. So I had to try to figure out how to make it work. Um, my competitor went a little easier on her, um, her approach and that it turned out to be for the best, but you never know. I'm, I'm not one to half-ass anything. So um, there was, that wasn't an option for me. Well, a, a quote that I shared on the show the other day, 
uh, it may, well, actually, it's a, it's a show that I'm going to, it's a quote that I'm going to share tomorrow, but it says, avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. The fearful are caught as often as the bold. That was uh, Helen Keller. <laughs> but, but I mean, you got to take risks, man. Come on. You know, you, you got to, if you, you, you cannot innovate if you're not willing to take risks. I mean, that's just the bottom line. So even though you may not have made a beignet before, <laughs> you had enough cooking experience to know that you could get yeah. it, you know? And if you'd have had a little bit more time, you'd have nailed it. I agree. I agree. Just yeah, a that, little bit more. Hey, when I was a kid, the way we made beignets, we would take, uh, we'd, we would pop open some biscuits and, we'd, you know, we'd shape them a certain, uh, you know, way, and then we would just put them in uh, grease and then we would put some powdered, you know, uh, sugar on top of them, and we loved Probably them. Probably what I should have done. <laughs> <laughs> and we loved them. That was the way it is. But man, when you're in a when you're in a competition, like you said, I, I get it. Um, I feel that way when when I've when I was a publisher and would do an interview for a major network, like after Hurricane Katrina or something like that. It would go by so fast, I would forget what I even said or what, even what the question was because you're, you're so in the moment. You're so, you're so wanting so badly to represent yourself well and your community well, that everything else just gets blocked out. Even, even to some extent, your memory, you know, it's just a, it's part of the part of the, I guess the adrenaline flow that's, that's taking place. But, but you didn't come across nervous. You came across calm and what's important about a show like that is that you got to cook well, but you also got to impress the judges with your personality. You know, they they want to know that there's a there's a person there, and they and they want to connect with that. And I think you did really well doing that. Well, I I, I agree that that is definitely what they're looking for, and and <laughs> that it went as well as it could have. Um, you know, that's not something that you can necessarily prepare for. And they and they want you to, like, talk about what you're doing in the middle of when you're doing it under really, really crazy time constraints. I think that's probably the question that I get the most. Is it is it, you know, true to how they portray it? And it is 100 percent. Well, that's that's you don't interesting. Time, don't know beforehand. So trying yeah. to talk about it in the middle of it's tough. This is uh, Chef Austin Summerall from the White Pillars Restaurant and Lounge in Biloxi. Someone I've really enjoyed you know, checking in with really for the entire duration of the show over three years. He and I have been kind of checking in with each other. Hey, when we come back, I'm actually curious what happens when a show like that's done. Does the phone ring? Do people get interested in you? What's, what's the national footprint of someone like Austin Summerall? We'll see you when we get back from break. to more of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I'm my friend Austin Summerall with us. And, um, you know, Austin, I think about you when we're up at the camp. Like this past weekend, we had 
We had um, dove spaghetti that my friend made. So, you know, he just he cut up some dove and, and sauteed it and put it in spaghetti and had, you know, all our all our team together to enjoy it. And, you know, for breakfast, we always cooked venison sausage and we'll have some link smoked sausage with it. And, you know, there's probably so much more we could do with the venison. We, we've only just begun to scratch the surface, but it's a lot of fun. Hey, listen, I'm curious. When you get done with a show like Chop, do, does it make your phone ring? Do people get interested in you? What's what's the story there? I, yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I got to do a lot of local news and media and stuff like that. I get to talk to you. Um, and uh, but also I think the you know, what's what's good for us uh, and for the restaurant is that um, I get I get opportunities to do to do more shows. So when I did Chopped, Alex Bornichelli was one of my judges. And then afterwards, she invited me to do her show. And then after that, um, one of the judges from her show was uh, a Top Chef winner. And I, I got invited to apply for that. Um, I didn't quite make it on there. It was very close. But um, we'll see maybe next year. Uh, and then the same thing, you know, you get, you get calls from Food Network and things like that. And um, as long as it goes pretty well. Uh, so that that's about as much as I can say about what is coming up. I, uh, I am going to be filming next week for another another Food Network show. I can't really say much more. Wow, that's exciting, man. Congratulations. That's I, I don't know how you find the time to do it. it it's it's got to be overwhelming at times to do the things you do. But it, the notoriety certainly helps your business. And the other thing about it is it puts you in touch with a lot of very creative chefs that you can learn from. I mean, it's just, and you, it's like you pointed out, you have these relationships that you still carry with you today. And how, what influence is that going to have on your, your your ability to be even a better chef in the future? It's got to be gigantic. Um, you, have, you have other news, though. What's your other news? So, yes, um, we, uh, my wife and I and Summerall Restaurant Group are um, about to open a new restaurant in downtown Gulfport. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of rumors going around about it and uh, things like that. So I figured uh, today might be a good day to go ahead and say that, yes, that is happening. Uh, it's going to be called the Siren Social Club. It is a much smaller restaurant than White Pillars, um, but we're very excited about it. We are uh, still ironing out a lot of details, um, but it's going to be in a uh, in a boutique hotel that we're also a part of, and uh, it's going to be just really, really cool. And it's something that we're very, very excited about. Um, it's always in our, our life plan and our goals to um, to expand and um, you know to give more outlets uh, to our, our tar community in the Gulf Co- Gulf Coast and um, just give more people an opportunity to uh, to enjoy what, what we're passionate about. Hey, say the name again. It had a, it kind of a little bit of static when you said the name. It's, uh, it's going to be called the Siren Social Club. So, Siren uh, Social Club. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so what's your specialty? It's going to be seafood-focused, um, European continental cuisine, um, and uh, and that's that's about all we've got worked out right now. Hey, but you know what uh, I love about it? I mean, you think spring. about, I mean, downtown Gulfport uh, is really focused. You got some great developments that are on on tap to bring people downtown, more people living downtown. People want to live, work, and play in a similar area. You see that in downtown Biloxi in a big way. You see it happening in Ocean Springs. And Pascagoula, is, there's a renaissance happening in downtown Pascagoula as we speak. You know what's happening in places like 
bedroom communities like Past Christian, but you know, Bay St. Louis, Lord, how mercy. Look what's happening in downtown Bay St. Louis. So Gulfport's right there with them, and uh, it's exciting to see so many people being brought back. Um, you know, the boutique hotels, mixed use where people can, where you have commercial and residential sort of coexisting. That's that's the future, and uh, you guys are, are riding that tide, and I, I don't blame you for investing in downtown Gulfport. Yes, we're very excited. Um, it's it's going to be really cool. And I agree. I think that there's a resurgence in downtown Gulfport. There's a lot going on. And uh, we're, we're very happy about that. We, we're, we're a big proponent of that rising tides raise all ships. So um, we, uh, we want to see our community change for the better. And sometimes you just have to be part of that change. Listen, I think that the Hurricane Katrina introduced coastal Mississippi to some of the best architects and planners in the world. Andreas Juani, the, the father of new urbanism, actually led the the uh, charrettes that we had as part of the Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal right after Hurricane Katrina. And this notion of walkable communities and mixed use is part of the conversation we were having then. And it's evolving now. It's evolving in a big way. I think that when people think about Mississippi, they they don't they don't we don't get enough credit for the work that we're doing. And coastal Mississippi can be a really significant best practice to the rest of the state about how to attract more young people to live here. A lot of people, you know, the young people they have to leave here to pursue their career. Um, they like the big city life. They like the live, work, play thing in a big way. And we're we're producing th- that that vision here in coastal Mississippi. And hopefully other other cities across the state of Mississippi will sort of take our lead on that and make Mississippi sort of really innovative when it comes to stopping the brain drain that's happening. So thank you for investing in a big way to be a part of that anyway. Um, hey, Chef Austin, summer has been a pleasure to spend some time with you uh, today, my friend. Same. Absolutely, Ricky. Yeah. I uh, enjoy it every time. Yeah, my wife Ann and I will be there soon. Uh, as I mentioned, my kids and bought us a gift certificate, and uh, we're going to come have dinner with you soon and uh-huh. look forward to seeing you guys. Take care, Absolutely. and listen, have a great day, and uh, we will see you tomorrow. Talk Mississippi Media Production.